0: Root Podcast, your chance to explore the connections between the way we live, the beliefs we hold and the world we're in. In this podcast, Vanessa Elston explores the theme of following Jesus as an apprenticeship in the way of love. On the third Sunday of Epiphany, on a particularly snowy day in the city of London, Vanessa explores the lectionary texts of Isaiah 62, Psalm 36, 1 Corinthians 12 and the Gospel text John chapter 2, and their implications in the Judeo-Christian tradition of the way of love. This homily was given at a moot Eucharist service at the Guild Church of St Mary Aldermary on Sunday the 20th January 2013. It's always um, interesting when you know you're going to give a homily because like, I got the scriptures like a week before and you kind of have those scriptures kind of going around your head and I'm sort of thinking, three passages, which one? <laughs> and different passages moving in and out of favour as the week <laughs> goes by. And it's funny how sometimes the passage I think I'm going to talk on isn't always the passage that kind of comes out top. And that's sort of what's happened to me um, this week because although I am going to sort of reference very broadly, all three. Surprisingly, the one I'm gonna end up focusing on at the end is the passage on the gifts of the spirit from Corinthians. Um, and, uh, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. Um, because my hunch is, is that maybe, I don't know how you feel about the gifts of the spirit. How comfortable are we? Um, and do we, you know, do we really know what to do with them? Um, what's a new monastic take on the gifts of the Spirit? Um, and I haven't got all the answers to those questions, <laughs> but, um, but as usual, I can, I can, I'm not going to start kind of head on there. I'm going to start a whole lot further back. And uh, in honor of Epiphany, what Ian's just shared about Epiphany being about looking at the bigger picture and going beyond even the church and seeing God at work in the world, um, I'm going to start with a book. I'm going to start with Tim's Christmas present, um, which he had to tell me to buy him, I have to say, so I don't know him that well yet. But I, I bought him this book, Born to Run, uh, which, uh, which actually I started reading on Friday. In fact, yeah, I read it. I started reading it on Friday because I thought, I've got to find out what he's getting into. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> But actually for me, this, this, I'm going to be talking about this book because actually I think it's a book about love and uh, I wanted to talk about love and in fact the title, if you want to give this homily a little title, it's Being Apprentices to Love. Um, so this book is about kind of maniacs who run hundred miles. They're called ultra runners and uh, they do these kind of ultra marathons where they run hundred miles. And the book starts with a guy who would like to be running, but he keeps getting injuries. And, he's, and his question is, is how can I run without getting injured? And the fact that all that runners, a lot of runners suffer injury to the point where doctors say, don't run, it's not good for your health. And so he has this question about, why do I always get injured? And in, in this book, um, basically, a whole group of them end up going to the sort of canyons of Mexico to run with a tribe. And I'm going to get their name wrong, I know. But this tribe... I'm going to call them the Tarahumara, but that might not be the right way to pronounce it. And there's another way of saying their name. This tribe are are kind of known for running, and everyone runs. And everyone can kind of run 100 miles, because they have to run, partly because they're so isolated. And uh, so they kind of grow up um, running. And the really interesting thing about them is they run on these little... um, They've got little tyres strapped to their feet with, like, straps... So no running shoes, nothing like that. They're running these massive distances on really rocky, rough trails with just these little really primitive um, sandals. And, uh, and so this group of runners, they basically go out to, to join this guy called Caballo Blanco, who's a kind of interesting guy himself. His other name is Mike True, And uh, he's a guy that basically loves running, and he's just gone to live in these quite dangerous place because of all the drugs, Mexico has a terrible problem um, with drugs and gangs and violence. So it's, it's quite a risky place to live. But he goes to live there just so that he can run. And, uh, and also he ends, has a real respect for this tribe and kind of wants to find ways of helping them. So he decides he's gonna start running races out there and see if he can get gringos to come out and join them on these mad runs. And uh, so the whole book's about him setting up this race. Um, and it's basically people who are kind of crazy amateurs, really. Um, and uh, but underneath this idea is this idea that um, we were all kind of originally human beings were made to run and in fact one of the reasons we survived is that we were so good at running we had to run to hunt and apparently because we can alter our breath we, we can actually run the furthest out of any species, other animals can run faster but they can't run as long as we can so actually all of us back in our genetic DNA we were all made to run really really long distances but we've kind of forgotten how to do that (laughs) (laughs) and uh and the thing also that goes kind of as a premise this book is actually our feet are amazingly amazing works of engineering and they're actually all really designed to run and um and the kind of premise of this book is part of the problem is we've got all these really fancy shoes with all this gel and stuff in them. But actually, they can actually become part of the problem because it means that our feet have become really weak. And they no longer can run these kind of distances because we've kind of strapped them and supported them to the point where they're no, we're, you know, we end up getting injuries. Partly because we're no longer in touch with our feet and we don't run in a way that stops us getting injured. So... Um, so basically, the reason you know Tim has to wear what they call the things you have in your shoes, orthotics, that's it. So Tim's kind of interested in exploring running barefoot as a way of sort of strengthening his feet and seeing if he can run without injury. And, uh, but it's not the kind of thing you can just do straight away, because if you haven't, if your feet have, haven't got the strength, you don't want to start trying to run 20 miles with bare feet, you're going to be in real problems, or just really thin trainers. It's something you've got to build up to. Um, you've got to take time to get the strength back in, to get back, in a sense, what we've sort of um, lost. Um, but the other thing about, beyond, that, that's all technical, that bit. But the, the, the thing about this book that really inspired me is actually, it's a book about love. And it's a book about doing something for the poor, pure joy and love of it. And I'm just going to read a little bit about this. They start off by describing this race that happened in the States and um, a couple of these um, tribes people came out to do the race. And it was kind of a bit um, chaotic and a bit messy because the, the guy that was bringing them out was kind of really aggressive. And but anyway, the, he describes this race and um, uh, a famous coach went to watch the race because he kind of was really interested in this particular tribe. So I'm just going to read you a little quote. This is kind of mid-stage. The interesting thing is, is that women apparently do really well in these ultramarathons. The longer you get, the more women win the races. Because apparently, ultimately, we've got amazing endurance. So I thought that was interesting. <laughs> um, so, okay, so basically they're, they're at a 60-mile point in a 100-mile race. Okay? And they have these station points where they run in and they can get a quick drink and a quick bite to eat. Um, and there's a woman leading. And she's just gone in. And basically, it says um, there's this kind of 20-foot dirt ramp and so Anne's been in, she's gone, she's leading the way at this point at 60 miles, and she's kind of trudged up the ramp to start the race again. And then it describes how um, these two other guys, this is Juan and Marti Amano Aman, Man, come through, and they're at the 60 mile point. I'm gonna pick up at this point. Everyone in the firehouse was buzzing about Anne's record pace and ever-growing lead. But as Ken watched Juan and Marty Mano exit the firehouse, he was struck by something else. When they hit the dirt ramp, they hit it laughing. Everybody else walks that hill, Klauber thought, as Juan and Martinano churned up the slope like kids playing in a leaf pile. Everybody, and they sure as hell, ain't laughing about it. Such a sense of joy, marveled Coach Vigil, who'd never seen anything like it either. It was quite remarkable. Glee and determination are usually antagonistic emotions. Yet the Tarahumara were brimming with both at once, as if running to the death made them feel more alive. Vigil had been furiously taking mental notes. But it was the smiles that really jolted him. That's it, Vigil thought, ecstatic. I found it. Except he wasn't sure what it was. The revelation he'd been hoping for was right in front of his eyes, but he couldn't quite grasp it. He could only catch the glim around the edges, like spotting the cover of a rare book in a candlelit library, but whatever it was, he knew it was exactly what he was looking for. Over the previous few years, Vigil had become convinced that the next leap forward in human endurance would come from a dimension he dreaded getting into, character. Not the character other coaches were always roaring about. Vigil wasn't talking about grit or hunger or the size of the fight in the dog. In fact, he meant the exact opposite. Vigil 's notion of character wasn't toughness, it was compassion, kindness, love that's right, love. So this kind of coach sees these guys in this tribe running, and he kind of See, actually, they love it. And the interesting thing also is that they love running together. The whole joy of it is about being with others and running together, not just running as an individual. And uh, so, my little metaphor tonight is that, just like we were born to run barefoot, but maybe we've forgotten how, and maybe the muscles in our feet have kind of got a bit out of training, we were also all born for love. But we've forgotten a bit what that is like. And what the way of love and a life lived in it uh, looks like. And I think it's interesting, this guy, Caballo, you know, everyone thinks he's a bit of a crazy. And I sometimes think that when we think about a life of love, it kind of looks a bit crazy to us. And as a result, we're all a little bit nervous about it. Um, What is love? if we're called to live a life of love, if we're called to be, I believe we are, I think that um, at the heart of Moot is we're called to be apprentices to love. That's what it's all about. But what is love? Uh, again, I'm gonna quote um, from this guy. This isn't from the book, because I sort of had to kind of go on YouTube, find all the characters in the book and find out that they're real. But Caballo Blanco, he, um, he says that basically, anyone who turns up to the race is a, is a mass loco, which means super crazy, really. Just like you're all mass locos because you've come out tonight in the snow. Um, <laughs> but he says, okay, this is what he says. He says that to be a mass loco, you have to act out of love with no attachment to the results. And love is doing something for no other reason than the act itself. Just for the pure love of it. So, for me, I guess, what I've been thinking about is love is something that doesn't ask for any rewards outside of itself. It means a purity of emotions. It's not about me, it's not about what I can get out of something. Love is, in a sense, the innocent life, in that it's the uncorrupted life. It's a sinless life. Because I think sin is what distorts and corrupts us from the purity of love and it's not what makes us ugly you know greed selfishness are ugly Uh, and the further we move from love the more corrupted we become and we've all been corrupted every one of us to the point where the life of love looks kind of ridiculous and foolish and far too risky you have to be mass loco um Love sort of means that you, uh, you get yourself out of the way. So like when I'm preparing this talk, I'm all the time thinking, how can I get myself out of the way? Um, because the ego self can't be there with love. Because love is all about finding joy in someone else or something else. Uh, it is the only way to be happy to live for others. And I've been thinking about, um, I was thinking the other day, going back on the train. And I said, what would happen if you started to measure yourself by love? What, What would it be like if you started to assess yourself by love instead of all the things that you do judge yourself by and others by? What would it look like if you go home at the end of the day and you go, okay, how kind have you been? How patient have you been? And what if that was the only standard that I set myself? it starts to look a bit different. And the world starts to look a bit different. And I think you start to see people differently if you start to think like that. Interestingly, you know, Indians in the culture of Mexico are considered really low. They're the lowest of the low, they're nothing. You know, the native peoples are nothing as they are in many places in the world because they're so poor, they have nothing. But when you look through the eyes of love, you don't see people like that. It changes how you see people. You no longer see people in ways that look at I don't know for status or certain things. (laughs) But our vision has got a bit corrupted, my vision's got corrupted. So, if we're called to be apprentices of love, how seriously do we take that calling? Um, Being an apprentice means recognizing you're a beginner, you haven't got it all together, you've got a lot to learn, you've got a lot to unlearn you're going to make mistakes. You're not going to be able to run 100 miles straight away. You've got to build up. You have to train. But if you any, take anything seriously, you have to enter into an apprenticeship. You have to train. And it's the same with love. We're not suddenly going to end up being able to love. Even though it's in some ways it's what we were made for, we're not just going to suddenly be able to do it either. There are things within us that stop us from it. I know there's stuff within me that stops me. And that's where I think that discipline and love actually come together. Where even though those guys love running, they still enter into a training and they still engage with what's needed in order to be able to pursue that love. It's about... um, For us, in Moot, we have a rhythm of life and we have disciplines. And uh, and some of those disciplines, I think, we have to remember that love is at the heart of it. Ultimately, it is about love. But unless I engage in those disciplines, I'm not going to be able to love. Unless I pray. Unless I learn to really meditate. Unless I learn to really take in the scripture right into my heart, into my being. Unless I learn to fast. Unless I learn to give when it hurts. I'm not going to learn how to love. I'm not going to become someone who's shaped by love. But at the same time, it's about that delight and that joy. And that's why I love that passage in Isaiah. Because that passage in Isaiah is all about God wanting to delight in us. Just like someone who's married, enjoying being with a person that they really love. And the delight of kind of all of that physical love. Well, that's how God feels about us. And ultimately, you know, Jesus does that sign of turning the water into wine at a wedding. That was his first sign. And that's because that's where we're all heading is to that um, ultimate place where God is gonna be with us, um, totally one. And that's what the, the kind of metaphor of the marriage and the wedding scene at the end of time is all about. That is where we're heading. So just to go back to the passage about spiritual gifts, um, the context for this passage for me has to be love. And that's why um, in Corinthians 14, Paul says, uh, Paul, after he talks about the gifts, Paul says um, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. But then he says, but now I'm going to show you the more excellent way. And then there's that famous passage, which is all about love and what love is. And at the end of that section, Paul then says, Follow the way of love, but eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. And when Paul wrote that letter, he was writing it to quite a young church that had actually a lot of division. There were factions, and there was an awful lot of behaviour that was going on that was really unloving. So he writes this letter to try and address different aspects of what was going on in that church. And part of that was to talk about gifts and how the gifts work. And I think what's really interesting if we think about the gifts, is that they are for the common good. So it talks about the fact that these gifts are not something that anyone can really lay credit to. They're not something you can earn, and they're not something you can kind of go, look at me, I've got this amazing ability. Paul talks about the fact that it's the Holy Spirit who gives these gifts. It's the Holy Spirit who distributes them. And what are they for? They're for everyone's good. They're for the church, they're for the building up of the body. They're not about people kind of showing off. And they're certainly not about the ego. And they're not about the self. So the only, how do we want to think about the gifts? We have to think about them in that context, in the context of love. And that we have to be the kind of people that want um, to serve and bless others. And that if we do desire the gifts, we're told that we must eagerly desire them. We're not desiring them for ourselves, but we're desiring them for others. We're the kind of people that can make room to gifts. It's not about us. It's about getting out the way to allow God's spirit to work through us. And I find that very challenging. So I guess what I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to talk much more, but I'm just going to say that I think when we think about the gifts, we have to think about them in that context, in the context of love. And I guess my question is, is that, but I want to say that we still need the gifts. And so I would want to say to us in Moot, let's think about how do we desire the spiritual gifts? And how do we think we might see the gifts working? Because maybe at the moment, we're not really desiring them. And maybe that's because we're still learning about love. Jesus lived the way of love. He kind of lived out extreme love, and he calls us to follow him. And uh, love doesn't know limits, it's mass loco. Uh, by definition, love is as full on as death. That's a Song of Songs says. Love is as strong as death. Death is pretty you know, takes everything. Well, love is the same. You know, you can't sort of love half-heartedly. But love is the strongest force in the universe. It's full on. And we're invited to immerse ourselves in that love tonight when we take the bread and the wine and the body and blood. It's total love. It's total love. And And we're calling ourselves to be apprentices of love, of that way of living. So let's just take a few moments just to reflect on our apprenticeship to love. Thanks for listening to the Moot Community Podcast. If you'd like more information on who we are and what we do, please visit www.moot.uk.net.